This week's TribCast is sponsored by Connecting Texas by Gary Shar. Roads are about destinations. They're also about destiny. Connecting Texas by Gary Shar is available now everywhere books are sold. Learn more at texastribune.org. And the Raise Your Hand Texas Foundation is excited to present For the Future, a series of more than 40 candidate forums and town halls leading up to the 2020 primary election. Find an event near you at raiseyourhandtexas.org. And welcome to the February 12th edition of the Texas Tribune Tribcast. This is Alexa Uda, and I'm joined this week by managing editor Matthew Watkins. You doing okay? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> We're all good. Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Why'd that countdown stop at five? <laughs> For those of you who are not watching the Tribcast and, or not watching the Facebook Live and listening to this later, we weren't sure that we were supposed to start yet. Um, and last but not least, politics reporter Alex Samuels. Hello. As always, we'll be taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, so send them our way using the hashtag TribCast. All right. Are we all good? Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah, we're all fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's start with Alex's reporting on Bethel O'Rourke loyalists. Um, Alex, you made this really interesting point that perhaps the bigger question for Democrats wasn't, do we distance ourselves from Bethel, but do we figure out a way instead to sort of capitalize on this, like, quote unquote, flock, as you said in your headline, <laughs> of supporters while sort of trying to minimize any sort of negatives that that picks up from the Republican side. Tell us more about what you found in your reporting. Yeah. So after the Eliz Markowitz race in House District 28, one of the first things I thought was, you know, how much of the blame does Beto shoulder for this loss? Um, you know, he ran for Senate, lost, ran for president, lost. This was like his first priority after losing the presidential race. And he it just like failed miserably. Um, and it was interesting in me talking to uh, Democrats and Republicans in Texas who brought up this question of, um, is O'Rourke potentially a liability to the party because he seems to elicit this, you know, anger from the right because of a lot of position, the positions that he took when he was running for president. Um, but something that I found super interesting was this divide between the Democrats, you know, the party at large now grappling with whether he is a liability and these loyalists who live and die by his word, no matter what he says. You know, if someone was an O'Rourke fan in 2017, um, a lot of the times they are sticking with him now through 2020. So it was just, you know, looking at that question. I think one of the potentials that, you know, as you point out in your story, uh, Beto, that race against Ted Cruz in 2018 really changed the conversation about Texas and mm -hmm. what's possible in Texas. Can Texas flip the house or can, can Democrats flip the house? Can Texas, can Democrats compete, you know, for president, U.S. Senate races, things like that. And uh, I think one of the kind of potential lasting impacts from that race, aside from kind of changing the conversation, was that he had this unique ability to activate people that we hadn't really seen in a Democrat for in a bit. Yeah. Mm. In a really long time. And, um, we saw that in this HD 28 race where, you know, I think it was his own group put out the number or something, you know, over a thousand volunteers from 19 States coming to this tiny state house district election mm. in January, you know, while there's a presidential race going on, you know, elsewhere in the country and things like that, there's no question that he was able to activate his supporters in this race but it also turns out that maybe he activated the Republicans as well. And, and that's yeah. the challenge here. 
is he, you know, is that going to then, how does that balance out? In this particular race, it didn't seem like it balanced out that great because Markowitz lost by 16 points. But obviously it's a special election. Things are a little bit different there. Will will he have that same effect if he, you know, he, his stated priority for 2020 is flipping the Texas House. Is he going to have that same effect when people are going to vote for their house races, but they're also voting for, you know, whether Donald Trump should be president anymore and a bunch of other things that are going to be bringing to them pol- the polls as well. You know, in a weird way, he has this in common with Ted Cruz. It's a feature and a bug. You sort of light up your own activists and get people out, but you light up the other side's activists and get people out. I mean, one of the reasons that the Beto O'Rourke, Ted Cruz race was so interesting was because for at least the first half of that race and maybe the first three quarters of that race, that was basically a race between Ted Cruz and not Ted Cruz. The same sort of problem, high negatives, high positives, large enthusiasm on both sides. Now Beto's got a little bit of the same thing. And, you know, both of them have it in common with the president. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder, Alex, you mentioned the, what was it, a thousand volunteers that descended on the, like, most block walk district in a long time. You mentioned this in your story. I do wonder, like, can you recreate that in some of the other sort of targeted districts for November? Have Bethel not show up at all, make no appearance in the district, and still not see the Democrat candidate dinged for it? I mean, is it the sort of thing where it's just, like, too much of an opening even to have his supporters down there and him rallying them is that too much of an opening for Republicans in November? I think any race that Beto will get involved with, it's automatically going to elicit some sort of response on the right. Um, so if Beto is involved in some of the more competitive state house races, we'll see a lot in Dallas and Houston later on in the year. I'm um, just getting him involved. I think a lot of uh, Republicans are going to use that to, you know, in mailers maybe to their advantage and say, you know, gun grabbing Betos, pouring money into this district. You know, that's kind of what you saw in the Markowitz race. I'm sure you'll see that again if he gets involved. And I think he told the Dallas Morning News, you know, if my presence is harmful, like I'll stay away from these races. Um, But that being said, I can't see a lot of Democrats in competitive districts saying, I don't want Beto to come down here for me because he does bring so much supporters and he does kind of force Republicans in a way to pour more money and give more attention to these races because he just does have this loyal following. He's going to help him. Yeah, if, if Beto so much as kind of looks in the general direction of a Republican, <laughs> you immediately see an email, a fundraising email, saying, you know, Beto is is trying it's to Robert Francis exactly. actually. Yeah, 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 Robert, Robert by Francis. The way, for the <laughs> so, you know, I and you know, the fundraising emails are always kind of interesting because people like to make things more dramatic than they are and uh, and everything like that. But there there's clearly a belief that he activates people, gets people worked up on both sides of the aisle. You know, I think one thing to keep in mind is the, um, again, the, the, when we look at these house races is the, the question we have to ask ourselves are, are people going to be going to the polls for these particular races in almost every circumstance? The answer is going to be no, right? They're going to go vote for the presidential race and, you know, people hope will kind of continue to work down their ballot um, to to get to the House race or the state Supreme Court race or whatever, you know, race people are looking at. And, you know, maybe Beto has an ability there to to reach that large network he has in Texas to to keep them, to inform them about these races so that they they think more than about Trump and they keep going down to uh, to vote in that. Um, it's just, I think, a matter of kind of 
if he wants to influence this, he really needs to think about how he's going to do it in the most effective way. Well, and every candidate who wants him to come or not come is going to make a local judgment based on whether they think it's a net plus or a net negative. You know, if you're down the ballot, like you say, you know, you're looking for positive things to associate your name with. So voters will go, oh, that's the one who was with, you know, comes with, you know, milk chocolate. Um, <laughs> and if, you know, if, if a candidate becomes, you know, um, less attractive than you, then you run from him. In 2010, when he was running for governor, uh, Bill White, the Democrat, didn't want Obama to come down because in Texas, Obama was a net negative. But a candidate in another state might have said, bring it, you know, and this is going to be case by case for people like Beto or people like Ted Cruz or people like Donald Trump. Yeah, that's really what this reminds me of. It reminds me of Obama in, you know, the midterm after he was inaugurated. But has there ever been any other figure in Texas politics that's in any way comparable? I mean, you think, you mentioned Ted Cruz. Do you think it sort of runs both ways there then? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, with a certain level of political notoriety, if everybody knows who you are, they either, in politics, they've formed a judgment about you, probably, positively or negative. You know, Cruz is a little bit of that. George Bush was a little bit of that, depending on whether you were mm. talking about Governor George Bush, who was popular, or wartime George Bush, who was less popular in some parts of the state, you know, um, Ann Richards. I mean, you can go through wherever there was a popular figure in state politics. And then every president has midterm problems somewhere in the country and usually somewhere in the state. But the stakes are different this time around because, you know, in the past, Ted Cruz was a pretty sought-after endorsement in the primary. Right. Because a lot of the times those people were trying to win primaries and they weren't too worried about their general election. And this right. is a different situation where, you know, Beto's not really getting that involved in the primary. He's, he's you know, uh, gotten involved in a congressional race and a little bit of that. But, you know, we're they're trying to think ahead to November in this situation. I will say, um, I think Beto would have been a more sought-after endorsement for probably every Democrat had he not run for president. Because mm -hmm. what Republicans are using against him now is the, hell yes, we'll take your AR-15. And mm -hmm. the right. church exemption, it, was it a religious exemption for institutions that oppose gay marriage? That's right. Okay. right. Right. So if he hadn't run, I think we highlight this in our story, um, he probably would have been a net positive for every Democrat up and down the ballot. But since he took those positions and he aligned with the more progressive wing of the party when he decided to run, that might have helped him nationally if he were still in the race, but it's probably going to hurt him more in Texas. Yeah. But was better off when he was only standing on tables in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get back to a point you made, Matthew. Um, I've been like thinking about the lack of straight ticket voting in every way possible since that bill was passed. But the idea of, you know, acknowledging that special elections are sort of a very specific kind of political creature in Texas. But I did, you know, is it wrong to wonder if the widened margin we saw there in that Fort Bend race is either an indicator or closer to what you see in these races without straight ticket voting, right? Where you don't have someone pulling the lever at the top, doesn't matter if they ever, if they know who their state rep is because they're still voting for them. That's not going to exist in November. I mean, is, are we looking at a scenario that's probably closer to where we get to November? I think it's just really hard to know. We're just operating in a different world of Texas politics than it has right. been for a long time. And, you know, those are the questions that we we're not really going to know the answer to until we see the election results. And even then we won't fully know. I mean, it's going to, it would be really hard to kind of separate what the impact is of, on straight ticket voting. And I think it's something that both parties are worried about. I mean, we've talked about this before, but you know, the, the Dennis Bonin tape, the, mm -hmm. where Michael Quinn Sullivan 
and Dennis Bonin are, are recorded kind of expressing worry about other Trump voters who are going to go uh, press a button for Trump and then not, not go on. Um, you know, it's, I think anyone could venture a guess, but at this point it's, it's really just a guess. Yeah. You know, you know from primaries how voters behave from the top to the bottom of the ballot, that more people vote at the top than vote at the bottom. Um, but, you know, in a primary where they don't have identifiers, you know, it's not an R or a D, it's just a, an R, all R's or all D's. You know, I think the general election ballots are going to behave a little bit more like that, except that you still have the marker in a general election. It still says an R or a D or an L or a G or whatever next to a name. And that's mm -hmm. going to be, for some people, the only cue other than whether a name sounds harmonious or, you know, seems familiar. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, what we'll be talking about a week from now when we come back. Early voting will we'll be in day two of early voting next week um, by the time we sit down. I, I want to talk about the sort of road to Super Tuesday. We have two of the four early votes early vote states done. Um, and I'm really curious how we think Iowa and New Hampshire sort of set up the early vote in Texas, if at all. You know, they set up for candidates that don't have a lot of money, they set up the momentum or lack of it for money. So if you're Elizabeth Warren, you got bad news in New Hampshire, and it's going to make it a little bit more difficult to raise money as you go through Nevada and South Carolina on your way to Texas and the other Super Tuesday states. So the question for a candidate like that, and there are a bunch of candidates like that, is going to be, do you have enough going on or apparently going on to attract enough money to compete in the 17 or 18 states that are going to be on Super Tuesday? If you're Michael Bloomberg and you've got one kabillion dollars and you're spending, you know, a tenth of a kabillion dollars on television. And a ton and, of it on sushi. Um, right. <laughs> um, you know, television and sushi. Um if you have enough money to do that, then you don't need the wins in the previous states to kind of fuel your rocket. So, you know, right now it looks like Sanders has enough money for or will have enough money to, you know, do what he needs to do in Super Tuesday. Buttigieg looks like he will. Klobuchar had a really great week after her debate performance last, I guess that was last Friday. Mm -hmm. And... um did well enough in New Hampshire that she'll probably have a little bit of money. We'll see what Nevada and South Carolina do. The question is going to be by the time they get to Super Tuesday, are they uh, competitive enough for name ID? Does everybody know who they are? Are people um, enthused enough to come vote? And what are their organizations on the ground look like? Um, and, and I think right now Bloomberg's ahead in money and it's certainly competitive in organization he hadn't been on stage. He's more of a cipher. You know more about the policies of this one than this one and this one than you do about Bloomberg. Um, but this thing's happening very quickly now. And I think, you know, after Super Tuesday, um, then you're going to be in the doldrums. You're going to have split delegates all over the place. Democrats are proportional. So you're going to have 30% of the delegates over here and 25% of them over here. And we'll start a long wrangle toward the summer. I think... It's it's impossible to really know because I don't think we have the polling to give us the answers yet, at least not right now. But my gut tells me that the Iowa and New Hampshire results have real potential to kind of completely shake the snow globe in Texas. I mean, you looked at, you know, Biden was leading a lot of the statewide polls. Um, he 
you know, there are a lot of questions that have been raised about him now after Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, you know, in terms of candidates who were expending the most energy here, we, you have Bloomberg, who we already discussed, and how does he factor in all of this? I think, you know, I think Bloomberg's campaign would probably say that the Iowa and New Hampshire really helped him because he was kind of hoping on people to kind of lose their trust in in Biden as, as kind of the establishment candidate. Right. Um, Elizabeth Warren, you know, among the candidates who were competing in Iowa and New Hampshire, perhaps was devoting the most resources to Texas. She seems to be in a bit of trouble right now. And then you've got Buttigieg, kind of the new, uh, the new person with momentum whose presence in Texas and Texas has been quite limited now. So does he have time to build on the kind of free press that he's been getting the excitement that he's been generating and, and win over voters in Texas? I think there are, there are a lot of things that are really just completely up in the air right now. Well, and there's been a lot of like from some of the candidates saying, just wait till Nevada, wait till South Carolina. But the reality is that you can't wait. I mean, early voting in Texas starts before both of those yep. votes right. happen. And I mean, in some ways, Super Tuesday feels like too late because you're going to miss a huge chunk of voters that are going to go out before that. Well, by yep. Super Tuesday, half of Texas voters will have voted. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and, and you look at Biden in particular, who um, is believed to be stronger in North, or sorry, South Carolina, um, possibly Nevada too. But a lot of Texans will have already voted by then. And so are people going to the polls on Tuesday with those worries that, you know, Biden might have an opportunity to ease, but some people have already voted by then. Well, yeah. so what difference will it make? Well, Alex, I'm curious, like what is actually happening, happening on the ground then knowing that early voting starts before Nevada and South Carolina, you know, I've seen so many notes about campaign offices opening all over the place, but obviously not a whole lot of candidate visits at, at this point. Right. So as Ross noted, Bloomberg is probably has the most robust operation here on the ground. He, I think he's up to like 16 field offices in Texas. Um, I think his campaign said it's getting up to 19. It's spending money um, on, you know, TV ads throughout the state. Uh, He's had a Texas state director and then I think like deputy state directors. So he definitely has the most robust operation, but he's able to do that because he is a billionaire and he's skipping Mm -hmm. the early states. Um, Besides that, the candidates paying the most attention to Texas are probably Warren and now Sanders. Um, Sanders is coming back to Dallas for a rally on Friday. He's opening an office. um, He's opening several offices in Texas, actually, starting tomorrow. Um, And I believe Tom Steyer is actually opening an office in Houston, too. Um, So everyone's just kind of, you know, there is that kind of look ahead to what's after the four early states and paying attention to Texas, which is obviously a very delegate rich state. Um, But there are candidates like Buttigieg, who are paying, and Klobuchar, I'd say, who are paying a lot less attention to the Super Tuesday states, and especially Texas. You know, uh, one of the advantages Biden has had is that a lot of the, there are a lot of politicians in Texas who have backed him. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons, there are many reasons for that, but one of the reasons is a worry about, you know, they're thinking about here trying to flip congressional districts, house races, things like that. And a question of like, what does a Bernie Sanders ticket look like in Texas and how does that affect, does that, um, you know, Democrats are hoping to make a lot of inroads in the the suburbs and, and places like that. And does a, uh, you know, self-avowed democratic socialist um, kind of uh, put a hamper in those a- attempts to, to win over those people? I'll be very curious to see over the next couple of weeks um, whether we see people rally around Biden or 
panic about him and, and start to look in other directions. Yeah, the other, you know, Texas is, you know, demographically different from Iowa and New Hampshire, like most states are democratically (laughs) different. One of the interesting things about Super Tuesday is that you've got a dozen and a half states voting. And so you sort of get this array of how this looks from California and how this looks from Texas. And to your point, I think, you know, a lot of people that are hoping in the Democratic Party in Texas to win five to seven congressional seats are, you know, want a candidate at the top of the ticket who at the very least doesn't mess that up. And and the question with the Bernie Sanders is, would that mess it up? I think to some extent, the better Sanders does in the early states, uh, the better the argument is for a Bloomberg. And, and you know, Biden's p- popularity in polls in Texas up to this point, you know, may fade. Who does that go to? Does that go to Buttigieg? Does it go to Klobuchar? Does it go to Bloomberg? Does it go down the drain? I think that's going to be the interesting thing about Super Tuesday. And I'm sure people are tweeting at us as we speak about <laughs> uh, Bernie, who actually in the Lyceum, Texas Lyceum poll recently had the best head-to-head against Trump. So, you know, uh, I think there are a lot of people who have that concern. Um, I think we should all also remind ourselves that we don't know anything in uh, 2016 proof <laughs> that test. Sanders or Bloomberg against Trump just sounds like a New York state of mind, doesn't it? It sounds like a mayor's race. That sounds like something Texans don't want. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Well, I, the, the Biden thing will be interesting to watch. I saw a tweet, this I think it was this morning or last night, from state rep Victoria Niave, who has endorsed Biden. And it was basically sounded like what my mom often said to us. And it was like, calmense, calm down. These states don't look like what the next right. three will look like, yeah. basically. Um, okay, well, we uh, I have one talk, one more thing about Super Tuesday. But before that, we are going to go to some sponsors. Texas State Technical College is the solution to the skills gap in Texas. Find out more at tstc.edu. And the Texas Municipal League is 1,150-plus cities building safer communities and a stronger economy. Find out more at tml.org. Okay, so... I just wanted to say, Alexa, you're doing a very good job. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) She really can throw her voice. Yeah, Yeah. it's amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So last time when we sat down, um, we had just reported on... Texas Democrats raising the prospect of a delay in delegate distributions on Super Tuesday. Basically, the data that we needed to calculate that was not going to be available according to what they had been told by the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State later that day said that's not true. It's going to be available. But it wasn't until Thursday that they emailed counties and said, hey, by the way, we're updating the system so you can actually report that out in the way you need to. Um, So we confirmed as of yesterday that those updates are now in place. We're going to be fine. Hopefully we won't be waiting on delegate calculations until two days after the election. But I did want to ask, you know, this is obviously somewhat insider, somewhat arcane. I mean, the delegate conversation in general is a little arcane. But is there anything more we should be taking from this situation? Like I heard from a county official last week who said that the first time that they heard that they were going to have to report this out in this way a month out from the election was because of our reporting and not directly from the secretary of state's office that came a day later. And it just feels to me that that sort of scenario, given who runs our elections in this state, seems a little untenable. Well, it, it, you know, it, it depends on how it comes out. I mean, it, it, it's sloppy, and, you know, you, you would hope that things were locked down and in place long before that. Uh, but if the thing goes okay on March 3rd, then, you know, 
it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, as long as you get the result that you wanted at the end. Um, after things, though, like Iowa and the mess there and, you know, election mishaps in Texas and elsewhere around, you know, people are looking for, in a way that they aren't usually, they're looking for reasons, I think, or not to trust elections and, and to look, you know, to kind of squint at the results and say, is this real? So every time you hear something like this that um, raises a question about the potential result or the process, you wonder a little bit more about the elections. And, they, you know, to get the, everybody's confidence back up in these kinds of things, they're going to have to lock this stuff down. I think ultimately, though, this is a question that matters a lot to us because we're thinking about how much sleep we're going to get before the <laughs> 7.30 a.m. live trip cast on the day after election day. You're welcome. But what I mean, was yeah. your mother's phrase? Calm down. <laughs> God, <I'm insane. laughs> but ultimately, I mean, like even with Iowa, that was a disaster and frustrating and kind of ridiculous. But, you know, the, the votes are going to get counted. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think the concern of like a lot of this is like, how is it affecting the narrative when... When, if we don't know, you know, at when people are giving their speeches at 11 o'clock at night or whatever it is, you know, whether they can actually declare victory or not. Um, but, you know, if the, the results, the results will get in the delegates, the delegates will be determined eventually, whether it's that night or a little bit after that. You know, I have this question. We've talked about this. I have this question about whether most uh, people think about delegates when they're thinking about them because delegates are really what the primaries are about. Mm -hmm. But from a, from a public viewing spot, you know, or from our viewing spot, it's who won, who got the most votes and less about, Oh, well, you know, if you got 30%, you get this percentage of the delegates, depending on how you did in each Senate district. And it's like, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, so, you know, I kind of think that's right. I think, you know, you go through the first phase and it's really just who won and then the second phase, however quickly that takes place, is and what does that win mean going forward? Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I was going to mention earlier but wanted to save until the spot, um, you mentioned, you know, a lot of the behavior in the primaries is sort of what we might be looking more to in November just based on, like, how far down people get in the ballot. But I do think, like, we should also acknowledge that this is the first election in which a majority of our big counties are going to be using new voting machines. Right. And, you know, I heard from one official who said that the software does not allow them to put more than one race on each screen. And so people are going to have to hit next like 18 times. And this isn't even in one of the huge counties. I was going to say Harris yeah, County, that's like, like 400 screens. Well, Harris County is one of the few that is using older machines, <laughs> but all the other big ones are using these new machines. And I don't know you know, for as much as we don't know about what's going to happen this year, I think like the actual election administration process of these elections is going to throw even more sort of question marks into all of our, you know, the things we're going to be talking about every Wednesday until well, November. Well, going back to straight ticket voting too, I mean, um, how is that going to affect lines? You know, if you can, instead of being able to push one button, you got to go all the way down that ballot. I mean, isn't it like the, the Harris County ballot, if you print it out, you can like hold it and it's like right. taller. It's enormous. It's 11, yeah. 11 pages. But, yeah. you know, we do this every primary. I mean, we, you know, you don't have straight ticket voting in True. primaries and this is this is how it goes. But usually turnout is lower. I, I, you know, I'm more worried about carpal tunnel syndrome. If I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, Travis County does that's, have new machines, right. so ouch, that ouch, is ouch. a possible scenario. <laughs> 
All right. Well, we are just about out of time. But before we go, I'm supposed to tell you that the 2020 Texas Tribune Festival dates were announced today. Whoa. Luckily, we missed my birthday again. I'm pretty happy about that. You can plan to join us September 24th through the 26th in downtown Austin for the te- 10th annual festival. Learn more at festival.texastribune.org. As always, thanks to Spoon for our theme music and to Connecting Texas, Raise Your Hand Texas, Texas State Technical College, and the Texas Municipal League, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Matthew, Ross, and Alex, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Regina, this is Alexa. Thanks for listening. Do